0: Hey, welcome everybody to another edition of the I Am A Champion show today. Uh, it is Mental Health Month here in May. And, you know, last month, guys, our last episode, you know, it was kind of a, a sombering episode. It was a very heartfelt episode, very deep. Um, but this week, we're kind of shifting it a little bit. We're diving into mindfulness. Um, and We have Mika Shaw here on the show. Uh, for, she's an open water swimmer, which I can't swim in closed water, much less open. You know, so that's a lot of mindfulness in there. And she's a mom, you know. She's a, and also she trained for the Olympics. So I'm really excited to dive into her about her mindfulness tactics and how we can get more present in and out of sports.
1: Well, Jason, you know, she works with athletes on mindfulness right now, right? She's actually surfed in water that she'd be afraid to go into, thinking there'd be sharks. She's not afraid. She's just surfing on the water, right? So I mean, hey, let's go. Let's bring her on. Let's have a conversation. All right,
0: here we go. Mika, how you doing today?
2: Hey, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well,
0: it's great to have you on. Um, you know, first of all, what is your what is your definition of mindfulness, and how can we develop a a, a championship mindset?
2: Um. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love. I think when I think of mindfulness, I think of being present and accepting the moment for what it is, without trying to change it or hold on to it or push it away. Um, I think a lot of people when you say like mindfulness, they're like, oh, okay, just be present. But you know, there's a little bit more to that. There's this aspect of like curiosity and kindness, um, and non judgmentally, uh, non judge being non non judgmental. So really, that's where the acceptance comes in. You know, there's, it's not always about trying to make every moment perfect and wonderful. Sometimes you have to ride through, you know, seasons of life that aren't exactly, um, easy to navigate.
3: Oh, that's, that's really great because some people look at mindfulness and they only equate it to the competitive side, like in sports, like, are you really, are you, are you present when you're about to win? Are you present when you're actually winning? Are you present after you've actually won? Or is it a combination of all three? What I'd love to ask you is this, is when you have athletes that, you know, I know I'm one of them used to struggle when we lost. Like, what's that phrase? We hated losing more than we liked winning. How can mindfulness help those kind of athletes kind of navigate that?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it gives you a little bit of perspective. So, you know, to know that um, just you lose one time, it doesn't mean you're going to lose in the next moment. And I think for me, I had a hard time sometimes like moving through perceived failures. So I kind of hold on to them. Um, And I would bring it into the next race, whether I just, I I suffered from a lot of nerves. So, you know, the next race, I would be even more nervous. And I would think, oh, well, I just swam poorly, you know, yesterday. So that means I'm going to swim poorly today. Where in actuality, like yesterday's race plays no, it has no impact on today's race unless you give it the opportunity to. So I think just when you are able to sort of let things be, Um, I think letting go sometimes is more challenging, but it's like accepting, okay, we lost, like there's things to learn. We did things well. So can you acknowledge what you did well as well? Um, And then like shift your mindset to like, what's the next step? Like, where am I going now? And what can I do, um, you know, to perform better this time around?
1: When you talk about let it go, Right, it makes me think about the the movie. Right, what's what's the movie again? A hey, let, let,
3: it. It let, let it go, let it go. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So letting it go is can be really difficult, right? And especially as athletes or in athletic spaces, you know, and you're being reminded of it a lot of times with the media, you know, with social media, whether it's uh, news media, whatever, and people. You know, it's great when things are working well, when you're not doing well, people are hammering on you, like you're not good enough, you're getting paid too much, whatever. So when you're working with athletes, how do you help them to be able to let it go? Like what strategies do you give them that they can use to let it go, to be in the present moment, to not let the past bother them to affect their you know, present activities?
2: Yeah, I think that um, this wasn't something that I was good at as an athlete. But now that I'm a little bit older, I have a little bit more practice, like being kind to yourself is a practice in and of, of itself. I mean, it's taken me a long time to, you know, work on that. But letting go is hard. And I think, you know, you hear it a lot. Like I hear it a lot, especially in like the mindfulness space or like a meditation, like guided meditations, like, oh, just let it go. And then you're like, well, how do I really do that? Um, so I think sometimes it's hard to let it go. And you have to, uh, you know, give yourself a moment to like feel your feelings, whether that's frustration or anger or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then to be kind to yourself, to know like, okay, this is hard. And it's not going to be this easy process and to give yourself a little space to, to navigate it.
3: So I want to piggyback on what Jim is saying about the whole let it go thing. Cause I'm probably, if not worse than anybody, there are games we've lost to the chiefs or, Tom, not, oh, Tom Brady in the tuck rule i that. I can't let that go. That still burns me up every time I see it on the ESPN or any highlight show. I get mad all mm-hmm. over me like it just freaking happened. It just, it just upsets you. So not professional athletes or even collegiate, but let's look at little kids. Like when we were playing, obviously you had a bad day at Little League or soccer or God, I, for, God forbid Friday Night Football, the whole neighborhood knew. Like you all messed up. You didn't win the state championship. Your neighbors talked. You didn't get that 90% of the time to get that pat on the back. It was more of like, oh, my God, you guys blew it. So what advice would you have to parents and coaches when dealing with children or kids?
2: Yeah. So I struggle a little bit with younger. Like, my experience is definitely more with older athletes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a parent now, I'm, I'm trying – I'm learning as I go with talking to my kids about um, – and issues like that. And I, I always come back to my mom, she didn't necessarily know my best times, but she just was proud of me for like the effort that I gave that I was trying hard and I never felt pressure from her um I always felt supported so whether I had like a good race she was excited for me whether I had a bad race and I was crying you know it hurt her too like my failures were hard for her because she's my mom and she really felt like my pain but my drive came from my own inner competitiveness and that's what kept me going so I didn't have a lot of um, pressure from parents and I see that I remember swimming with people that their parents were really hard on them when they didn't perform well. Um, and they didn't make it to call it, you know, they didn't get through high school and no. swim in college. And I mean, I had friends in college too, who had parents that put a lot of pressure on them. So I'm not saying that it's, you know, that's definitely going to happen. But I think when you think of longevity, like, I, you know, parents sometimes with their 10 year old, they're like, well, my my son or daughter is like the best on her team and she's gonna go to the Olympics and it's like, or be a pro athlete and it's like, well, she's 10. And like cultivating, like being a good teammate, you know, like learning how to make mistakes and work through them. Like I think at 10, like when you're really young is more important than whether you win or lose and the performance. So like, I think focusing on those aspects is more important. Um, like I said, like I'm still learning with my own kids and I try to explain things to them and they're like, Oh, mom, <laughs> like stop. <laughs>
1: well, It's funny, Mickey, you say that. Cause I do think, you know, if I had a, if I had my children, I was 20 something, 30 years old, it would have been totally different. But the age I'm at now and the experience I've had, like just parenting in sports is kind of like, when they get done playing, you know, I love, I love watching you play. Right. That kind of instead of being like, why didn't you, why didn't you throw the footballer? Why didn't you catch this? Why didn't you, throw? It? why why didn't you like, you're asking them all, he's beating them up. And I think the other thing I tell parents all the time is like, notice the things they do well, that are like life skills and character traits. Like, you know what, Mika, you know, when you got knocked down and I really felt you got fouled, but you got right back up and you played you your present and you didn't let the official, like the call bother you. And you sprint back and you made a great play. But you know, when the teammate threw the pass, but it was just awful—you couldn't catch it. I love how you point and say it's okay. You cheered him on, or whatever it might be. The coach took you out. You're upset. You're frustrated. You're frustrated. You didn't. You didn't. You looked the coach in the eye. You paid attention. Nodded. You sat in the bench, cheered your teammates on. You showed me a great teammate you are. I think those things, if we can do as parents, because think about this. I tell parents all the time: there's chronological age and there's maturation age. Yeah. Some kids mature really early. And they might be that sixth grade. It's like, oh, he's going to play in the NFL. He's like, there, he's playing the NBA, he's the next Kobe or whatever. It's like, he's in the sixth grade.
2: Yeah. I
1: mean, right yeah. now he's matured early and he's getting a lot of stuff that he's doing right now. He's not going to do when he gets into maybe high level high school or college or the pro. He's got to develop his skill sets, right? And then there's kids that I've seen before that aren't very good in the sixth grade that haven't matured. They're, they're uncoordinated and they all of a sudden they play in college. They play professional. So it's not where you're at, it's where you're heading. So I think in nurturing that, but I do want to flow into something on this. You mentioned about let it go, forgiving, and it can be hard. It really can, so we beat ourselves up, that inner voice. But I looked at your site here, and I think people, if they go to MikaShaw.com and the about stuff, you talk about that you help athletes create space, a little space for compassion. And I think we all need a little compassion in our life, right? For ourselves. Yeah. So what do you do with your athletes to help them create that compassion in their life?
2: Yeah, so I I still uh, – that's, like, definitely a work in progress. And when I work with my meditation teacher, I feel like he's constantly telling me, like, can you be more kind to yourself? You know, it's like you get in these habits, and I don't really realize how hard I am. I mean, I realize when I look back on my sports career how hard I was on myself, but I still have to remind myself, you know, today. It's definitely – A practice and a work in progress. I think something that's been helpful with athletes that I work with and even myself is acknowledging when you do something well even when you make a mistake like intellectually I know that like everybody's gonna fail. There is no professional athlete that has coasted through their career and never made a mistake never you know (laughs) just never made a mistake it just doesn't happen. So we're all gonna make mistakes. And I think the ability to move on from it, to learn from it and keep going is like what differentiates like athletes that make it to college, athletes that make it from college to professional level. And I think when you can acknowledge when you make a mistake and then also acknowledge that you did something well. And I think it's, it's not always like this big grand moment. You know, you can be like, well, yeah, okay. I, I made a mistake. But like I also um, I also did this X, Y and Z really well. And I started actually because I realized later after I was swimming, it was like a through my meditation practice, how unbelievably mean I am to myself, like my internal dialogue. And I, I started when I have something that I'm really nervous for, that means a lot to me. Uh, which was, you know, races and athletic things, but now it can be something different. I take the time and write down what I'm proud of for myself. So I say like, I'm, I'm really, you were nervous and, you know, maybe you didn't say everything you wanted to say, but like you, you, you showed up and you gave your best effort and you did this, this great. And it's not about not acknowledging, you know, like the learning moments or the mistakes, but it's also acknowledging that within every moment there's there's an opportunity for like great to be grateful for what you did and to give yourself a little bit of credit.
0: Yeah. And then Mickey, you know, like uh what are some ways that you can recognize maybe that critical voice in your mind and be able to flip it and then, and then you know, maybe hold that space. Do you have some strategies where you know you can acknowledge that self-criticism for what it is and then be able to like replace it with other things that might be more empowering and more uh influential positively you know what do you tell athletes how to how to change that dialogue in your head
2: yeah I think that's why mindfulness is such an important like for me I think it's it's such a foundational part of like mental skills because it gives you the um ability to kind of notice what is arising whether it's like you know, in your physical sensations, in your body, your emotions, or or thoughts, and then once you kind of notice, like, oh, these are the habits that I have, like, when I make a mistake, like, I go down this wormhole of negativity, and it's like, okay, well, once you're aware, you can choose to practice or take a different path. So, but until you have that awareness, you're kind of going through these habits, and you don't really notice. So, like, for me, I always... I've always said like I love being an athlete. Like if I could be a professional athlete now, like I would jump at like training 5 hours a day sounds great. Like I don't I haven't got to a point yet where I'm like I don't really want to do that. Um but I and I always thought like well I really I have this like pure love for being an athlete and competing and I was completely unaware of the fact that I annihilated myself every single time I made a mistake and I held that and I took it with me every time. So it was just like this weight that I was always carrying. And I think if I would have let that go, if I wasn't, would have been able to like kind of drop it and move on, like, I just, I think that I would have been able to, you know, reach a different level um, in my own sports journey. So, um, I think I got off on a tangent there. <laughs> I don't know if I answered oh, yeah. your question. Well, welcome to our show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that, that's a great point though. You made a lot of good, uh, you know, a lot of good mentions in there and so, and that's what I wanted to talk more about was you know that kind of thing of like hey you have this you have two voices in your head, and the one you feed is going to be the one that's going you're going to follow right exactly. and so it's like how do we feed that influential that positive voice, and really try to ignore it? because that not that that other voice goes away but learning to ignore it or not allow it to become through awareness become your constant voice that's telling you in yeah. your head you know so I think that's the key thing is there is like you know shutting down the or or dismissing the the negative critical voice. And learning and acknowledging and being aware of whenever you're having those, because you know a lot of our thoughts are are not even our own. Sometimes somebody said something to us, yeah, we know. believed it, or we you know thinking about ourselves, and that wasn't even something we think of ourselves. In. But until we're aware of, like you mentioned, it can be something that I can just keep looping through.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I'd like to add to what Jason was saying, and also t- piggyback on something Jim brought up: the um, "let it go" part. Um, like I said, I'm probably the us on here. I'm probably the worst at it. I was horrible at it, and um, I'm, on, I'm, I'm from the situation where I have older kids than you guys did. So I watched that transition, and more importantly, they had peers. But having kids that played played um, that were kids of professional athletes, the pressure that they felt in their head is way more than some young kid on the street that's just like Jimmy Billy wants to be a superstar five years old. Yeah. So one of the things I always practiced with them was one, I never brought that up. Like you, they have to have a safe place to go. Like it was never brought up in the house. There was never being comparison. I never say, hey, check out your cousin, check out your uncle. I didn't do that stuff. They did it on their own, but I never did it. So I think mindfulness to me would be, and what we, I know love your thoughts on this is, do you think that's also part of that compassion is also having a safe place for the athlete yourself, the athlete in your head at least to go to where that stuff's not there. Like, it's not around anymore, even if you're doing to beat yourself up, but you're safe for yourself.
2: Yeah. I think, well, if you think, like, I don't think, I don't know necessarily if mindfulness is, like, a safe space all the time. Because, like, mm-hmm. if you have to navigate those tough times, too, I think when you think about, like, it gives you that little bit of space. It's like that moment before you totally Go d- dive down that neg- negative, like rabbit hole of comparing yourself. It's like you catch yourself, you know. It's like you've noticed, you notice. You're like, oh wait, like I've just been ruminating on like comparing myself to Jillian for you know, and I don't have to go there. It's like that kind of like break. Like okay, well I see where I'm going, and now I can like back up and I can, and choose something else, (laughs) like choose a different path. And I think that's where like the planning comes in. Like if you know that's your, if you know that's something that you do all the time, it's like, okay, when this happens, when I start comparing myself to my teammate um, and I notice it, I'm then going to switch to this. Like maybe, you know, positive self-talk, like some people, it works for them and but there's different kinds of positive self-talk so you know some people like yell at themselves out loud and other you know talk in the third person or like how like learning what works for you um and then having sort of that plan like I had phrases that I said to myself and it was kind of like an anchor for my thoughts so it's like when I got distracted by comparison I could be like okay like I'm I recently last year I ran a marathon and I said over and over again, I'm focused, I'm fast, and I'm grateful because I really wanted to to experiment with being gr- focusing on gratitude rather than like um, a time. And every time I got like tired or whatever it was, and or I started thinking like this is really long, my body is falling apart. I'd be like, I'm focused, I'm fast, I'm grateful, and it just like kind of cuts that off. Um, but then there's also that part of non-judgmentally being like, okay, like it's okay. I don't have to then think that comparison thought and then judge myself for comparing that thought and then judge myself for not being able to stop thinking it.
1: You know. <laughs> so. Well, I think like you were talking about a lot of this too, is that, you know, we get this negative self-talk. It's almost like our conscious mind is the mind that we can think with, right? It gives us the ability to think. The, the reasoning factors there. So I tell people all the time, it's like, you got to be like Dikembe Motombo. You're the shot blocker. You got to reject. When you get a negative thought coming in, it's like, no, 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 no. It's like, no, I'm not. It's almost like you're telling them and you can sit and repeat things to yourself. Like I you said, thanks for sharing. Whatever it is, like you're moving on and you switch from a negative thought to a positive because you can't think of two thoughts at the same time. You can't think of a negative or positive. Yeah. So re it over to positive thought. And like you said, when you affirm something to yourself, I can, I will, whatever it might be. But you did mention something on there that I do want to get into that you talk about on your site, not only creating space for compassion, but gratitude. And they've done studies on gratitude, how beneficial it is for you. And also yeah. they talk about when you're in a grateful mindset, it's hard for you to think negative. But as you mentioned, a lot of times we get in the comparison. I don't have this or this. This person has this more than I do or whatever. We get jealous. So what are ways you help your athletes like get grateful and be in an attitude of gratitude? Is there exercises, strategies you help them make sure they maintain an attitude of gratitude throughout their days?
2: Yeah, I love doing like a daily gratitude practice and it's super easy. Just say three things you're grateful for. And it's the repetition and practice of actually noticing what you're grateful for. And I do that with my kids before we go to bed. Um, I have a gratitude journal. Um, I mean, I don't force anyone to do a gratitude journal, but I think I offer the suggestion because I think it's really helpful. And I think sometimes when you start off, especially if you're more inclined to sort of negative thoughts and as athletes, I think it's really, I kind of was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm really, um, critical of myself because that's, what's making me a better athlete. And it's like, well, what would it have been like if I would have been just incredibly grateful for the opportunity? I think there's like an openness there that just allows you to like go for it. Um, Because it's, for me, I guess it was just so um, restrictive, like not noticing all the, the aspects of my experience that I could be grateful for. And I think when you start to practice it daily, just like even if it's hard and you're like, there's nothing that went well today. But then you're like, well, but I looked like, look like the sunset's beautiful. And it's like, okay, I'm actually grateful that for this one moment, I saw that the sunset. And then the next day you're like, well, you know, that cup of coffee just like really hit the spot. And it's like tiny, I think we so often overlook these tiny little things that can have a profound impact. And I think with gratitude, you can start off really small. It could just well, be one, right. one thing. When you,
1: when you talk about your children uh, real quick, and you say you do it with your children, how do you go about doing it with your children so you can help parents out there, maybe ways they can do it with their children as well as before, when they wake up in the morning, go to bed at night? How do you get them or what are like conversations you have with them or things you say to get them in this gratitude, you know, kind of uh, strategy that that you implement in your your each and every day for you?
2: Yeah, we so we have a routine routine um and before you know we get they get into bed and we say like okay what are you grateful for today and kind of run off a list of of things you know and I'm always like well if if you can't think of anything you know specific or your day you can just go back to like I'm grateful for my home I'm grateful for my family you know and just pick you know those kind of like big things um but then with them you know the more we practice they come up with all kinds of little things you know throughout the day that they that they're grateful for um and i think sometimes you know they're like oh i'm going to add that to my grateful list tonight or you know and they like pick pick it out in the middle of the day so for for us we just practice right before we go to bed and it could just be one thing could be two or three you know it doesn't have to be like a huge process
3: okay so, you know, along that lines, like being grateful and gratitude and being more mindfulness is, do you feel it's all all internal or do you feel some of it can be external? Like I sometimes like I lose track of being grateful and mindful, but sometimes Jimmy or Jason will say something to me or a friend will text me and bring me back to that world because it was an external thing. Because I didn't internally, I wasn't either up to the challenge that day or I wasn't thinking right or whatever was going. On. Can you can you think of ideas of like, how do you help have your external network help you and reach out when you need it to know trying to help you?
2: Yeah, I think communicating, you know, to let, to let um, them know that that's helpful and that you appreciate it. Um, I, my, one of my best friends from college is actually staying me, with me this week. And last night we were talking about our, you know, collegiate swim experience and just how we didn't have the vocab, we didn't know how to, like, articulate that we needed help. You know, we didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know I could ask for help. Um, and I felt like, you know, my, like whatever I was working through, it was like, I didn't want to say it out loud because I felt like, you know, it made me like weak or different. And I think on team sports, it can be kind of hard sometimes because you don't want to be the, the weak link and you want people to, you know, give you the opportunity to go out there and race or compete. Um, and I know that's like a, just a getting older thing. Like I, it's a lot easier for me to ask for help and seek it out now. Um, but I think when you have, you know, one or two teammates that are your closest pals and you can say like, when I'm, you know, feeling really down, it made me, you know, you totally brought me out of my funk by just texting me and saying like, Hey, what's up? How's it going? You know, that really helped me. And then once someone knows they can do it again, but if you can't, if you don't communicate it, it's like, you can't, you know, that they might think that that's not helpful. I have a friend that I, (laughs) I'm more like, I love you, you're doing great. And like, maybe a little bit overly enthusiastic. And it got to a point where it's like, I don't think I'm helping her by, you know, texting her when she didn't race well and being like, I love you. I think that was kind of like, she was like, okay, I'm good. Like, I don't need all this right now. So, you know, if you communicate that with your friends, then they can offer you the support that you need. But if you don't communicate, then they don't know if it's helpful or not. Um, and then they could be doing something that's not <laughs> not helping.
3: Yeah. I run and- into my daughter and her mom sometimes. Um, when Jordan was playing, she plays volleyball and she's getting ready to leave for college now. And her mom when Jordan would have bad dick games or bad issues or something like that. I knew from experience of leave her alone, let her process it. And mommy went right into the whole puppy dog thing of, you did good, sweetie, and pat me on the head and everything. And, you know, as athletes, I hear you sucked. I'm trying to make you feel better. That's what I heard. And I know that's not true, but that's how they hear it. And it was just it took her until literally last year to finally get the idea of leave her alone. So, yeah, I, I get the whole idea of communicating later. Still, but Jordan never said, Mom, this bothers me. We do not do that. She never actually had that conversation until recently. So it's really funny how it took years for her to just finally verbalize it. So I totally understand what you're saying.
2: Yeah. yeah. with parents, I think it's a little bit, you know, cause she probably was like, well, I don't want to hurt my, I know my mom's trying to help and I don't want to hurt yeah. her feelings. And then it's like kind of, and then when you actually do it, you're like, Hey mom, like I, that's not helpful. Like this would be way more helpful. than she her mom's probably like, yes, like I'll totally do that because I want to help. Like I'm trying.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and Mike, I want to, or Mika, sorry, I want to get back into this too. Uh, you mentioned, you know, when you're younger, sometimes you don't have you know, like you don't know the right words to say on how to ask for help or, or express yourself like hey because of you know fear of judgment fear of not knowing how to explain it you know and so forth maybe are you know, young adult audience that are like you know because that's part of the issues is like suicide is a leading cause of death between that 10 to 34 year old range and so yeah. it's uh how is, is it as simple as saying like hey i, I need some help with this or how? What are some strategies that maybe, and even, even sometimes myself, I have a hard time asking for help. What, what are some, some really like feasible, productive strategies on, and effective on like how to ask for help? Is it as simple as saying like, Hey, I just need help with this or I'm I'm struggling with this or what's a um, non-intimidating way, I guess, you know, we can go about that.
2: Yeah. I think that's kind of complicated because I, like, I want to say it's really easy, you know, just ask for help. But I think it depends on who you're asking. If that person doesn't have the capacity to help you, then, you know, it's going to, that your request is going to go on deaf ears, and then it could make you less resistant, or less likely to ask for help again. Um, I remember in college, I asked a coach, I just, like, nerves was a really big thing for me. And I didn't really know how to I didn't know what to do. Like, I felt like I had to change. I just felt like I had to change myself. Like I, I shouldn't feel this way. Like I should be confident and you know, and I had a moment where I was talking to one of my coaches and I told him like, I feel terrified. I feel like I'm gonna swim poorly. You know, it was our big meet coming up. I was like, I feel like I'm gonna swim poorly. And I just kind of like let it out. And he was like, oh, it's okay if you s- swim slow. And I was like, what? <laughs> like what? <And laughs> that was not what I was expecting. And he was like, yeah, sometimes you swim slow, it's fine. Didn't really acknowledge like any of the other things that I was saying about like how, you know, how I was internalizing it and like what I was saying to myself, it was just kind of like, oh, well, sometimes it happens. And I remember, I vividly remember that moment because I didn't ask, I didn't say it out loud again until I started swimming professionally and searched, I went out and looked for someone that, could help me. Um, but, you know, had he been maybe more open or sort of like validated what I was feeling as being completely normal, which it was like, maybe I would have then taken a the next step to talk about it again or like start learning to try to like learn skills and practices to help me navigate those well, I, feelings.
0: I think that's a good point there. Cause I think, you know, people maybe are, are nervous to ask for help because maybe, they don't feel like they're around the right people that can help them, right? So maybe part of right. it first is doing your research on, okay, here's what I'm going through and, and searching out, like, where can I get the help that I need in an efficient and effective way, you know, because it's like, maybe people in your tight circle aren't the right people to help because maybe they can't provide the help that you need. So yeah. I think it's a little bit on yourself to do some of that legwork of where can I go or what can I search for to find the help? That is going to give me the right kind of because you know you're not gonna go to a dentist to you know to get lotion for your skin right i mean it's that kind of thing it's like how do we find the right help uh for and then and for young people it's it's like you know do we do we know where to go in the first place so maybe it's asking hey where do i go for help as opposed to asking for help
2: and i think maybe you could start if you're younger and you don't really know you could start with a little bit more broad like i think it's easy to be to say like oh i I'd really like to um, work with a mental skills coach because I want to be the best athlete I can be. And maybe behind there, there's a little bit like I need, I want someone I can talk to about what I'm, you know, afraid of or the pressure I feel or something like that. But it could be more like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to learn how to be more confident, you know, or better self-talk or something, and kind of like dip your toe in in that field, and then find someone that you feel comfortable talking to to then be like. I really, you know, and then you, that you can express how you're really feeling. And if they're not able to offer the help that you need, hopefully, because they're in more of like the mental health space, they would be able to find someone and like assist you in, you know, finding someone that could really help you.
1: Mika, I, I think something for me that's really helped, especially over the last, you know, couple of years of a lot of the unknowns we've been going through is just doing breath work. I mean, I know breathing for me has helped tremendously. And I know it's ductile into kind of meditation, visualization, different things that I do. But I do want to get in with mindfulness about breath work, because you hear a lot of people talking about your breath and just breathing. Um, Do you find that to be beneficial? And what are things that you do working with athletes to get them to breathe maybe properly to get them where that helps them not? They're not so anxious and not so fearful and they're going after what they really want.
2: Yeah. Um, I love, I I actually start when I work with athletes, I start with the home practice of just one minute of diaphragmatic breathing because I think it is so unbelievably helpful to have the ability to bring your awareness to your breath and notice that it can be calming. Um, but you have to practice, you know, you have to practice consistently before you can actually see and feel um, the results of that work.
1: Can you have us be like we're three athletes and take us through like minute worth, of like what, what would you do if we walked in and you talk about that minute worth of breath, work, diaphragm, breathing, whatever, what would you do with us?
2: Yeah, sure. So I would say to sit up nice and tall.
1: Come on, Jonathan.
2: <laughs>
3: Let me sit up tall, Jim.
2: <laughs> so sometimes I think it can be helpful. Like if you, just to feel where the breath is coming to like, put your hands on the side of your ribcage. But it also, if you feel like a lot of tension in your shoulders and it feels really uncomfortable, you don't have to and you just sit up nice and tall and close your eyes. And then just take a moment to notice your breath. So notice where you feel it the strongest. And that could be like high up in your chest could be deep in your belly. Maybe you feel it as it enters your nostrils. So just noticing your normal breath rhythm. And then we're going to intentionally breathe down into our rib cage. So you can think like deep into your belly, but as if your hands are in your ribs, you can notice that when you take a big inhale your rib cage expands to the left and to the right, it expands in your front. And then as you exhale, your hands move closer together. So your rib cage comes back. I'm just taking a couple breath cycles. You don't have to keep your hands on your ribs if you don't like to. You can also put it on your belly, even though we're not breathing, like our the air isn't going down into our belly, you can feel the expansion. So your belly button moves away from your spine. And then as you exhale, your belly button moves back towards your spine. And just intentionally trying to maintain nice long inhales and exhales. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes.
1: Hey, on that, I love that, and thank you for for doing that question I have is you hear a lot of people that talk about, you know, breathe in through your nose. Some people say breathe out through your nose or breathe out through your mouth. Um, Do you have any uh, like suggestions on that or ideas? What's best for people or just, you know, you hear people sometimes like Wim Hof say, just breathe. You know, what what do you suggest?
2: Um, I would start with just breathe. (laughs) So to not get too super nitpicky on like the quality of breath you know as a overachiever sometimes when I do like an awareness of breath meditation I can like get really like oh I like that that breath wasn't good or you know I'm feeling like kind of stress, like anxious and like judging my breath um but I think I think ideally through your nose um however if you if you know if you're congested and you can't breathe through your nose and breathe through your mouth um and I just started reading that book breath yeah. Uh, so I'm excited to explore that more. Um, I think in mindfulness like in yo- you know yoga or like pranayama there's different types of breath work and you know that could be like nasal breathing or different types of you know breathing through your nose out through your mouth or bre- you know um, breathing in through one nostril. There's so many different breath techniques. In yoga or in mindfulness, more often you're using your breath as like an anchor for your focus. So it's not necessarily that the breath is doing anything special. It's just noticing that your body is breathing and like noticing whether you feel it in your nostrils or high up in your chest and your belly, not intentionally moving it anywhere. And that's that's what your where your focus sort of zeroes in on. So when you get distracted you bring it back to your breath and you get distracted again and you bring it back to your breath. Um, So I think like diaphragmatic breathing or different types of breath practice is more intentional. You're changing, you know, how you're breathing for a desired effect, but for mindfulness, for meditation, you know, you're looking, you're just noticing your breathing um, without intentionally changing it.
3: Well, it's funny that Jimmy brings that up because I, Tend to quote my mom and dad and coaches all the time. I, I steal other people's information and then pitch, pitch it out in my own way. So that's what I do. Um but one of the phrases I love is um and my and I had a coach tell me this one time. He says, you know, if you if you don't breathe right, you don't think right. if you can't think right, you don't move right. So it's it's kind of like that. When you get, I mean I don't know if you've ever been afraid, it's like people freeze. And they, first thing they, the first thing that the first thing's affected is their ability to breathe, which affects their ability to think, affects their ability to move. I mean Having been a combat veteran, you know, you being mindful of the fact that am I breathing right? Am I thinking properly affects everything else as opposed to just reacting. And that translates to sports and it translates in, in my mind to life. And I think like, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this is taking that breath. That's It's a technique. And I always believe technicians will be athletes over, over anything because athleticism fails you where technique doesn't. And what do you think about it, like in the actual athletic situation? not afterwards when you get home, when you calm down, you're dealing, but with some things, act, you're actually swimming, you're actually playing, you're actually dribbling down the court and things are going wrong. Breathing in that moment. What, what are some ideas for that?
2: Yeah. I think that comes back to, it's the same with, you know, practicing meditation. You practice breath or like diaphragmatic breathing. Um, let's, I'll use that as an example. That's my favorite one. <laughs> you practice in the quiet moments at your house, right? So like maybe you wake up then the first thing in the morning, you do a minute of like deep breathing. And you do that every day. And then you're in a competitive environment. You know, you're at a competition, um, and whatever sport you're in, there's that moment where something's not really going right. And you need to make the adjustment. And because you practice consistently, you take a deep breath, and your body and your brain recognizes the practice. And you're like, okay, like you have that like very quick little moment where you can, where you can make a different choice. You know, you can realize like, okay, I just made a mistake. I'm gonna take a deep breath. I feel grounded. I feel centered. I can move on. And and you know, this next moment, what just happened is not going to define the next moment. Um, I actually, I think you can notice. I'm such a nerd with like watching athletes, like body language <laughs> when you're watching sports. And so I get so excited sometimes because you can see that moment where they pause and take one breath. And it's like right before a free throw. They like, you know, I'm sure they practice that a million times. They take that breath and you see like the focus. It doesn't matter what is going on around them. And they take that that, that free throw or, you know, it's, it can be any sport. Um, I was just watching a CrossFit Um video and matt frazier was like i know when um it was like the it was the last workout of the crossfit games and like everyone's exhausted and they just went back to back and he was like i know in this moment i'm gonna recover faster than everybody else and everyone else is like kind of looking around they're tired and he just stands there and he's like has this confident body um posture and he's taking like deep breaths and whether he's intentionally you know take like practicing breath work i have no idea but i did i watched that and i was like yes that's it like it's so it looks so simple but it takes that daily practice to get there you have to like embody it and like really feel that difference so you know like oh one to have the awareness to be like oh when i get really tense like I get really nervous and I, my breath is like in my throat and it's my throat feels really tight. And if I don't notice that and don't do anything about it, you know, I start talking or, or try to move and it's just this like I feel frozen. But if I'm like, oh, okay, I can take a couple of deep breaths, yeah. I can release that.
0: You know, Mike uh, Mika, um, so open water swimming has gotta be maybe one of the most unpredictable sports there is, you know, and and really i i see that one as a lot like life you know in, in football baseball basketball you can at least predict the conditions ahead of time right and you kind of know what condition you're going in but i feel like it, and correct me if i'm wrong on this open water swimming you can be doing everything correctly but then the water can just change on a dime and then you have to adjust on a dime you know what you're doing so how have you my question is using breath work in those situations where you may be doing everything right you're in a good free flow but the controllables are what you can't control changes so quickly. How does breathwork help you stay focused when everything else around you is changing? And how to use that maybe in in life outside of sports as well? That kind of help you relate and cross over.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I mean breathwork in that instance is hard to you know you can't really stop and take a couple deep breaths. And sometimes right. like your breath can be the one thing that you know you can get pushed under the water and swallow a bunch of water and then you're, you know, swimming and trying to catch your breath again. Um so I think it's like the mental skills of I I worked really hard on um just staying focused on what I was doing and to try not to be um, distracted by competitors or conditions. I had more experience swimming in the ocean that I knew if the conditions were bad, like I felt like that was a positive for me. Because a lot of people came into open water swimming, never swimming in the ocean, pool swimmers, and so for them, if it was choppy or windy, or you know you couldn't really see where we were going, and like the buoy, you, know, you can't see the buoy, you're supposed to be turning around, like that could be really um, anxiety-provoking. Whereas for me, mentally, and whether it was true or not, I told myself like they're going to be freaking out, and like I know what I'm doing in this situation, so that wasn't necessarily something like I needed to work on. What I needed to work on was I'm not a physically um, large person and I'm I'm definitely, I don't think I'm a very intimidating person. So like, I, I, and I'm not very aggressive. So I had to learn how to hold my own um, in a pack, because in open water swimming, you swim, you swim in a pack. It's like Mm -hmm. cycling, except it's in the water. So there's a lot going on underneath the water. People are pulling on your legs or they'll just swim over you and push you underwater. I broke my, someone elbowed me in the face and rib in um, the middle of the ocean in Brazil and I broke my rib. Um, So it can be really aggressive. (laughs) Um, And at first I like tried to match that level of aggression. So I was like, well, I need to become this aggressive person that's going to throw an elbow back. And my husband <laughs> played waterfellow and he would like help me. We would like practice in the pool and he was like, elbow me. You know? <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to do that. And, and then I would get into a race and it was so distracting for me. Like it completely took me out of what I was doing. Cause I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to swim over here. And then I'm going to, am I going to throw an elbow? Am I going to kick? Like, and it, and then I was like, I don't want to hurt somebody. It just was not working. It was not like That did not work for me. Whereas for some people it did. It wasn't, they didn't have to think about it as much. I think it was just like, oh, okay, I'm going to throw an elbow. and move on. But for me, it took away from what I was trying to do. So I worked really hard with a mental skills coach to work on, like, focusing my attention on what was productive for me and being where I needed to be. So if I was in a position next to someone that was a lot bigger than me and they were more aggressive, how could I calmly find a different spot in the pack to be without wasting a lot of energy to get there. Um, Cause it's just with open water swimming, it's like who can conserve the most energy and make a sprint at the end. It's a two hour race and it, they come down to like one, you know, the difference between first and second could be less than a second. Cause everybody's conserving energy. And then the last little bit, it's an all out sprint.
1: Yeah. Hey Mika, I do want to get into being a swimmer, Michael Phelps, one of the greatest. And he had a, co- a coach, Bob Bowman, right? That was his coach. And there's a stories about how he used to work with Michael on visualization, like visualizing the race, running the movie in your mind, and not just seeing it happen really well, but he would have him see the challenges that he might go through in the pool and overcoming them. And they, the story goes where, what, his goggles broke, or he had a something broke on it and he had water coming in, and in. He was racing in the Olympics and he stayed focused and ended up still winning. And they talk about that him going and having the visualization of thinking and seeing himself in these tough situations overcoming them helped him those moments. Do you recommend athletes to like duct visualizations onto breathing and mindfulness? And if so, how do they go about it?
2: Yeah. I think everybody's different. So you have to find like what works for you and maybe, you know, mindfulness doesn't resonate and it could be something you try at a later time. But um, I loved visualization and I didn't practice mindfulness when I was swimming. I think it would have been incredibly helpful for me. Um, But I am a, I'm like in, I live in an imaginary world. So For me, being in my head and visualizing was so easy. Like I could feel it so clearly. I could see it. Um, And I did the same thing. I would go through my races. I would think about like if something doesn't go, I wouldn't think of it in a negative way, but just like if I get dropped from the pack, like how am I going to respond? If I, you know, if someone elbows me in the face and that was when when I did get elbowed in the chest and I, I remember I, fr- my first reaction was, yes, I, that didn't even bother me. I am so tough. Like I was just swimming and then like a minute later I, I couldn't breathe and I hyperventilated for the last mile of the race. But like my initial reaction, I was like, that doesn't bother me. Like you can do whatever you want. Like I'm focused on what I'm doing um, because I rehearsed that. I, I thought about it. Like what happens, you know, in these what happens when mistakes happen? Cause they will happen. Like how can I handle them uh, more skillfully? I think some people aren't visualization isn't as easy for them. You know, they can have a hard time like really bringing that race or competition to life. It can be more of a struggle. Um, so I think it's just really practicing, you know, you can practice really small. You can, I don't know, pick, something of a crayon you know like look at a crayon and then close your eyes and try to see the crayon in your mind's eye um and then work up from there if you you know if you're having a hard time visualization visualizing or you can you know take it to practice like i would close my eyes when i was swimming and like really feel like what it was like you know what my stroke felt like and how like noticing how i was breathing um so you can just practice in tiny little moments, you know, and, and build from there.
1: Or is, that part, is that make it part of too, they talk about getting your five senses involved in it, like smelling the pool, you know, feeling the water, like, you know, hearing the crowd, like getting your senses involved in it as well.
2: Yeah, that's really important just to create that whole picture, right? Like, so what is it? You know, a pool is easy. You think like I walk on the pool deck and I can close my eyes. I can think about it. I Like the sun on my skin, the smell of chlorine, um, you know, what like the bleachers look like. If um, like your coach standing there, you know, my coach would be on the side of the pool deck, you know, waving Mm -hmm. his arms or whatever, like imagining all of those little things. And then also noticing like, what does it feel like inside? You know, what are you saying to yourself? that's where you can rehearse that positive self-talk or like, what does your body feel like? Like for me, I had all of these negative physical sensations. I, I, I narrated them as being negative. I had like butterflies in my stomach. My throat would get really tight. My hands would go numb. So it's like, I would think of feeling that, but then I would tell myself like, I'm ready. This is excitement. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't pretend that that wasn't going to happen, you know, because historically it did. So I, I prepared for that. And, and then, you know, you kind of take in the whole scene and um, go as, you know, go with it.
1: Yeah, I do want to ask you something as well, because as Jonathan is experienced, I guarantee in football, You know, you got these macho, you got these strong guys, right? We pump the iron, we're strong, we're tough, right? And it's all about this competition, how much you can lift, how big you get. And you bring up yoga. And that's where you bring up yoga to athletes. Like, I know my nephews, I got a nephew that's going to Iowa to play football. And my, my sister has been certified to do like hot yoga and a yoga teacher. And they'd be like, we're not going to yoga. That's like, they're like laughing about it. And she's like, just come one time and they couldn't even do the poses, they had a hard time, like this is one of the toughest things to do. Tell tell the athletes out there why yoga is beneficial and why they
3: should do more of it and mix it in with their training. Before you answer that question, (laughs) I'm gonna squash your kids things. We We were part of a study group where they had former or professional athletes, people that were bodybuilders, fitness people, people that had never really worked out like normal, everyday people that kind of work out once or twice a week and the people that did yoga and meditation. And you, we went through this whole like three weeks of doing all these things, and they all had their own way of doing things. You got points for your age group, um, points for how many improvement you made in certain things. They took blood samples and checked your brainwave patterns, endorphins, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, we got this. Look at this group. I'm kidding. hell no. And I went into a whole other, the yoga meditation group, destroyed, destroyed us. <laughs> like, just it wasn't even close. It was like who could get to a thousand points? I think we had seven twenty five. They got to sixteen hundred points. They like they destroyed everybody. So I was a fan after that.
1: <laughs> you had to let it go after that. That's okay.
3: <laughs> I have a choice, man. I mean, you get your when you get your butt beat that bad, it's not like it's a fluke. It was it was bad. It was bad. It was very clear that yoga <laughs> <was doing> <laughs> work was bad. Give,
1: give us some things on yoga. Explain it to us. The benefits. How to okay. go about
2: it. Well. Um... I think it comes back to, you know, every, like, maybe it's not for everybody. There's so many different styles of yoga too, that it's like, I always tell people when they want to try yoga, I'm like, give yourself a couple classes, like go to a bunch of different classes, because if you just judge it off of the first one you go to, it could just be the teacher's style that is, you know, doesn't resonate with you. Um, I think when you, and I think of this a lot, like if you want to be the best athlete possible, Um, and I think traditionally when I, Jonathan, I don't know how you feel about this, but like when I was, when I was swimming, like the whole, anytime I would go to a coach with, you know, I don't know any, it was always just work harder, (laughs) like just get in the pool and work harder. Like that was the cure, like that was going to solve all of the problems, all your mental problems, all your physical problems, just work harder. And I don't think that is the most skillful path to take. So I think I think there is this balance. Uh, I, I shouldn't use the word. I don't like the word balance because it seems like if that's not really attainable. But, but there's this, sometimes it's really, you need to know when to push and just to go all in and like really grind. Like you have to work hard. There's no way around it. You have to do the work. But there is a skill and it, it's so beneficial to know when to slow down and when to maybe rest or to be quiet, because that gives you the opportunity to really push and go for it when you need to. And I think yoga can give you that opportunity to kind of slow down and check in with your body in a different way. So then when you get on the field or you go in the pool or whatever your sport is, you have this increased awareness of your body and how it's moving. Um, and a connection more with your with your like your mind and your body and then you can put take that to your sport and it can be incredibly beneficial i, I think also think, stretching think can, can, can be good
1: yeah that's <laughs> what I was gonna mention from but but the flexibility yeah there's so many athletes who are so tight I mean they say like getting flexible like to prevent yeah. injuries they show how you can be even more explosive when you're more flexible and stuff like that do you see that as well mika
2: yeah, and I think it's just like avoiding, you know, having a healthy body. And so I think,
3: I think recovery and recuperation is key. It's like what's that phrase? You can't go to a bank if there's no money in it. Doesn't yeah. matter. Or a library with no books is just a building. Yeah. So you have to know, like she said, to stop and put books back on the shelf and put more money in the bank and let the deposits be there, so you have something to leverage when you need to grind through.
2: Yeah. And if you don't, like I, people always say, they're like, oh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. And I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. Like, how will you get more flexible if you don't, if you keep, if you keep lifting weights and just like grinding every day, you're and not working on mobility or flexibility, you know, how is it going to improve? And a lot of people are like, well, I'm going to go to college, then I'm going to be a professional athlete. And I think most athletes want that long, healthy career. But if you don't take care of your body, you're not going to get there, you know, or you're going to, you're going to have to end your at your career early because, you know, your body is falling apart and you haven't taken any time to recover and take care of yourself.
0: Yeah, but You know, you know, who else needs to be more flexible is parents, because I know whenever I had kids and my four-year-old starts running around, I'm like, man, I got to keep up with this kid and I can't be injured while, you know, my two-year-old and four-year-old are, you know, so I'm like. I'm gonna figure this yoga stuff out. And and again, I'm getting I always tell myself, I used to tell myself I'm not flexible. I said, Hey, I'm getting a little more flexible every day. This yeah. again, that like like that, that growth mindset of like I may not be flexible, and I, I couldn't touch my toes for the longest time, but now I'm like, hey, I'm getting down now, I'm getting closer to it. You like hey, I know it's funny, but it's true. I mean, I was like, I was I was pretty tight, right? So now I'm like getting down to touching my toes. I can run to my four-year-old, I'm not like, gonna get injured, you know, all this kind of stuff, and it's uh it's not just for athletes, you know, yeah. no, more so for dads and moms, too, because moms seem to have this yoga thing for
1: you a lot better than, than – I'm not – Jason, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you because my wife yeah. tells me all the time she goes, you're one of the most unflexible guys I know.
3: And I'm
2: like, <laughs> I don't think so talking so about body like, gym. I don't <laughs>
3: <laughs> No, but I'm, I'm not going to join Jim and Jason because I always try to – like my daughter praises and prides me on that. I was a Mr. Stretch all the time. I've had those injuries. I know what it feels like to go through rehab. And I said, flexibility, flexibility. Flex-. I would, I refused to bench unless the coach made me. I was always pushups. Oh. If he didn't make me bench, I wouldn't do it. Cause of rotated mm-hmm. cuff, shoulder injuries, didn't see the practicality. It just, you couldn't get me. You know, like I heard the Walker, man. Hurt yeah. Walker. I was, I was, that I followed his example there. And I'm very fortunate, even up to Jordan right now is about to be 18. I still work out and train with her as best I can. There's certain things that she just does better, um, but I can still do battle ropes with her and TRX and do all the kind of stuff. But, when she starts getting into like jumping in the sand for volleyball, that's when I can't do it. That's <laughs> not, not, not him. Not.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <So I'm
3: out.
0: laughs> well, uh, Mika, you know uh, this show is called I'm a champion and, you know, thank you for showing us, you know, some championship ways uh, for mindfulness. Uh, any final thoughts on like how we can be champions in all areas of life uh, through mindset, you know, not just sports, but in, in uh, all areas of life as well.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, being a champion is um, an individual pursuit. And I think the openness to always learn and grow is such um, a benefit. So wherever you are, knowing that you can make small, tiny adjustments daily to reach your goals. And we are in so much more control than we really know. But it starts with awareness. You know, once you have a little bit of awareness of how you individually work, you can choose to practice something different to help you get a, a different outcome, a more med- beneficial outcome. So just be curious, keep learning, yeah. practicing. Huh?
0: I like That's that. Awesome. Thank you, Mika, for uh, for joining us today. Uh, I know I've, I learned a lot. I learned a lot on all these calls from our guests. Uh, and so we are we are very appreciative of you coming on, um, sharing us with your knowledge, your wisdom. And honestly, I'm inspired because of somebody that can get you know, elbowed in the ribs and <laughs> keep swimming a mile. Later, I can't even swim a mile without being elbowed in the ribs. So like if you yeah. kept going after you swam, elbowed in the ribs kept going. I I'm ready to, get,
2: to go myself, so. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, thank well, you me, so me, much for
1: having Having a broken rib, like Jason said, I mean, I have, I'm sure, Jonathan, you've had plenty playing yeah. football, but I had a broken rib once, and I'm like, oh,
3: my gosh. Yeah. Like, breathing, moving, trying to, that hurts swimming the most over in bed was death. Yeah. Was death. I can't <laughs> imagine swimming with that. So, like, hey, make more power to you. I'm just telling you. About very yeah, great.
1: Hey, as, as we wrap up this real quick, we're getting off. So I know. Listen, you don't don't tell me, Jonathan. Play with this for a second. You've watched in Frozen. Don't act like you haven't. Uh, we can. We can. I've watched it a couple times. Whatever. Who's everybody?
3: Listen. Who's your favorite character in Frozen? Okay, one. I can honestly say I'm one of those parents. Swear to God, I've never watched that whole movie. We're oh, bits and pieces. I've come in the room. We're and- bits and pieces. Who's your favorite character? You got I I, I, I like I like I like the the, the moose. I just didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd you like, Mika? Uh,
2: I've watched that movie a lot. Um, my sister and I actually like used to do plays of every single Disney movie, and she always got to be the star. Mm-hmm. So she was always Ariel or Belle, and I was like, Ursula, the the, uh, the ugly she witch, um, and when Frozen came out, my sister was like, "I'm Elsa, and you know, look at me, shine." And then we watched the movie, and I was like, "Anna is the hero, <laughs> and I I gotta be Anna." So I love Anna. Um, I love that she is, you know, brave and um, she goes for it.
1: What about you, Jason?
0: I mean, you gotta go with the snowman, man.
1: Olaf, <laughs> you
0: know, <laughs> gotta go with Olaf. Olaf, dude, he's like. He's like, you know, it doesn't matter what environment. I can melt in the summertime, but hey, you know, summertime. in summer. I'm talking about summer. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. uh. He was I'll like, a, hey,
1: Olaf to deal with whatever. You give him sun or winter, whatever. He's like, I'm gonna be mindful. I'm just, I'm just here
0: whatever the time. Olaf. I might melt. But I'm, I mean, maybe that's like maybe you should have been more mindful about that because then maybe wouldn't want it with summer on. But uh, uh, well, Mika, enjoy your weekend. Thank you for joining us you. today, Um and we will be in contact soon.
2: Well, wait, okay.
1: before you wrap up, Jason, how can people like get your information, right, Mika, yeah, yeah. see where you're at, follow you? What can they do?
2: Yeah, I have um, my website, MikaShaw.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at MikaShaw. And I'm actually starting a series of 30-minute workshops in June, which I'm going to be launching um, next week. So I don't actually have uh, like a sign-up page for, but it's just going to uh, be 30-minute workshops once a month with some of my amazing friends and colleagues. So from different professional athletes like Adam, um, one of my fr- my uh, Olympic summer friends, my meditation teacher, just learning different mental skills um, and all the money is gonna go towards a nonprofit. So it's donation based. So there's no issue with, um, you know, being able to afford an expensive workshop. You can pay a dollar and have access
0: Wow, that's awesome. I'm excited yeah. for that's that. Awesome. Yeah, let us know whatever that's good. I'll, I'll check that out for sure. Okay, yeah. awesome. Thank you. Have a good one, Mika. Thank,
2: Thank you. you. It was nice.
0: Well, guys, you know, uh, another way to start off a great weekend on how we can be more like a champion in our own lives. So, uh, you know, Jonathan, I know, you know, you've had some 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 tough going ons in, in recently in your life. And so, hopefully, as we finish our second episode in, uh, in May with Mental Health Awareness Month, this one kind of gives us a, uh, a positive leap forward um, as we as we finish the month. Yeah, I'm look, I'm looking forward to trying some of those techniques. And I'll,
3: honestly, every, like you said, every time we talk on one of these shows and talk to a professional in any aspect, you get another tool in your toolbox on how to handle things in your day life, or help with kids, or training, or coaching. Kind of the thing that Forty Athletes is trying to do with their programs to give coaches and teachers and mentors ways to use life skills from our, our sports and athletics and stuff. So I'm just grateful we get to do this and have friends like you guys in my life and stuff. So it's been really helpful.
1: Well, I think, as you mentioned, Jonathan, we're, we're talking about mindfulness today a lot. But I think, like, being a champion, I am a champion, it's being open-mindedness. Yeah. Being open-minded, right? What are What are the best ways? Not, like, the way you've been taught throughout the years or conditioned to believe. Like, look at your life and think about what is a better way? Like yep. Steve Jobs, what is a better way? What's a better why, a way to make me, to train my mind in a certain way to, to get me to, you know, feel better about myself, my life, or whatever, to move in the direction I wanna go? What are those? Again, is it a yoga exercise, different exercise you've done? Is it a certain breath work? Is there certain meditations you're doing? What was a visualization? What is it you can add in your
3: life that can help you become that champion that you desire to be? Yeah, I agree. And I appreciate you guys both always being there. And doing these shows and stuff it's been really helpful and if people are listening like i I would encourage you to speak check out people like mika because she's she's definitely giving me something to think about and some things to work with
0: yeah well you know if anything man it's a lot of fun i learn something every time so thank you guys for joining us today uh and i look forward to our next episode coming up in june yep have a good weekend guys yes. you too yep.